1: And you're on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five-O Radio Network. Bringing you the news behind the news, the story behind the story. Here to convince you that reality is usually scoffed at, and illusion is usually king. We're streaming live on iHeartRadio and available as a podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, and Spotify. And you can follow me on Twitter at Right Now Jim Dawes. I love to hear from listeners. You can shoot me an email. The address is right now jimdaws at gmail.com. Or you can leave a voicemail on the vent line at 772 245 0750. That's 772 245 0750. So we're back we were off the air yesterday uh, we were preempted by the morning mojo so they could uh, do their special tribute episode uh for the 1 year anniversary of doc thompson i want to take this opportunity to send my condolences and my best wishes to the family of doc thompson and all the mojo 50 family that uh, that loved him so and uh and it just so happened that the uh, the day that we were preempted uh, happened to be probably the most momentous and busiest news day of the year. We had uh, uh, both the impeachment vote, which was yesterday, and uh, and the State of the Union address, and all of the uh, the Democrats' skullduggery hijinks that are going on out in Iowa as they desperately try to escape uh, the the monster, the the Marxist monster that they have created. And we're going to cover all of that today. We're going to start uh, with the impeachment vote uh, that was held yesterday at 4 o'clock. And uh, every one of the Democrats held firm. All 47 Democrats in the Senate voted to convict Donald Trump on both counts, both of these articles of impeachment. I had high hopes that uh, Christian Sinema uh, would um, not get caught up in the the um the sectarian madness that was going on there. But uh she fell in line and, and voted to convict. <clears throat> the Republicans, for their part, they also uh held their ranks and voted uh to reject both of these articles of impeachment except one. Just one dissenter on Article One and um I don't have to tell you who that is, even if you didn't already know from watching the news yesterday. If I'd ask you to guess which of the Republicans would take the opportunity to stab his president and his party in the back over these bogus articles, you would uh, you would know exactly who that would be. Yes, Pierre Delecto strikes again. And he gave a long-winded speech about uh, how uh, his God and his conscience required him to vote to remove the president of the United States because he asked about Joe Biden's corruption in the Ukraine, which is uh, a corruption on its face. And Adam Schiff, of course, he trotted out uh, to praise Romney's moral courage. When you've got Adam Schiff praising your moral courage, you know that you're on the wrong side of history. The man is uh, the most uh, renowned liar of our age, the most uh, cynical politician that a town full of cynical politicians has ever produced, but Pierre Delecto told us uh, that uh, you know it, uh, he just couldn't, in good conscience, acquit this president. This is coming from a man who has a who who made his fortune stealing money. From the mouths of working or uh, um, from the from working people, he is a moral retard. He is the pioneer of the vulture capitalism that uh, plagued our nation uh, back in the eighties and the nineties. Through his company uh, Bain Capital, he would uh, he would swoop in. He would borrow money to buy a controlling interest in. Uh, a company. Most of these companies were uh, perfectly successful, but they were deemed more profitable to break up than they were to keep together. So he would borrow money to buy these companies. Then he would make the com. he would load the company with the debt that he used to buy the company. Then he would, uh, uh, along with his Bain capital partners take huge consulting fees out of the company, and when the whole thing started falling apart, collapsing under the weight of of this debt and consulting fees he had loaded it up with, he would sell the assets, usually to offshore companies that were taking the equipment offshore, fire the employees, raid their retirement funds, and walk away fat and happy and leave a wreckage of human suffering in his wake where people's careers were destroyed, people's ability to provide for their families were wrecked. He did this again and again. And now we have to watch this same despicable character preen, as some sort of uh, paragon of virtue, it is disgusting to watch. But you know, the real tale tale of all of this is, you know, every every single Democrat voted for both articles. Now, even if you believed uh, Adam Schiff's narrative that asking about Joe Biden's Corruption in the Ukraine, which is obvious on its face, amounted to election interference. Even if you bought that and voted for Article One, Article Two was p- complete and utter bullcrap to begin with. You can't sue a pre- or you can't uh, impeach a president for obstructing Congress because he resisted your. Uh, it, uh, subpoenas in court a subpoena is upheld by a court it is up to a court to decide whether that's a valid subpoena or not and when the congress first issued these subpoenas they did so simply on the word of nancy pelosi the constitution gives the sole power of impeachment to congress it does not give it to the speaker of the house of represent the the Congress, uh, the Constitution gives <clears throat> the sole power of impeachment to the House. It does not give it to the Speaker of the House. It requires a full vote of the House in order to proceed on impeachment. And every subpoena that they issued prior to that full vote, which was all of them, was invalid. And the administration was perfectly within their rights to resist them. And the fact that every one of uh, the 47 Democrats voted to uphold that shows you just how cynical and how partisan this whole effort was. Doug Jones is the Democrat senator from Alabama, who was probably going to be get beaten in the election anyway. But he voted uh, for both of these articles of impeachin- impeachment, sealing his fate, <clears throat> And during his, uh, his speech explaining his vote, Doug Jones cited the big lie that was at the heart of Adam Schiff's bogus impeachment.
0: Throughout the trial, one piece of evidence continued to stand out for me. It was the president's statement that under the Constitution, we have Article II and I can do anything I want. That seems to capture this president's belief about the presidency that he has unbridled power unchecked by Congress or the judiciary or anyone else.
1: So right there, Doug Jones is telling you that he based his vote on a lie, an obvious lie that would have been easily discoverable by anybody sitting in that chamber for oh, untold number of hours. This clip that Schiff and the house managers kept playing, of Donald Trump saying article two gives him the power to do anything he wants to do was taken completely out of context. It was in response to a question about whether or not he would be empowered to fire James Comey. Well, article two absolutely gives the president of the United States the right to fire anybody in the executive branch. The president was responding to that question. He was talking about uh, specifically his power to hire and fire within the executive branch. And Doug Jones is telling you right there that he's basing, first and foremost, his vote to impeach the president of the United States on an obvious lie. It's very akin to this, uh, this fine people lie that the Democrats have spun up where they say that uh, the president uh, said that the Nazis and the Klansmen at the Charlottesville rally were very fine people. To perpetuate that lie, they have to clip that statement on both sides in order to uh, to hide what the president really said. And what he really said was that in addition to the Klansmen and the Nazis, There were historical preservationists that were wanting to save those statues. And there were people that wanted uh, to tear them down on the other side. The president said there were fine people on both sides who had legitimate points of view and legitimate grievances. But you see, this modern Democrat Party has become the party of hoaxes. When the truth doesn't fit their narrative, they twist the truth. They bend it to the narrative. You know, I have not always been a big fan of Mitch McConnell, but I tell you what, he is a master parliamentarian and he really comes in handy at times like this. And I, uh, I'm almost hesitant to do this, but, uh, really he says it better than I ever could. And he, he takes about 10 minutes to say it. And uh, I think it's worth a listen. I really do. Uh, I know in this modern age, we sort of have a, a, a an abbreviated attention span. And Mitch McConnell is not a fiery orator. But whoever he has uh, writing his speeches, if he doesn't do it himself, does a fine job just really encapsulating this frenzied effort on behalf of the Democrats to overturn the 2016 presidential election. So I'm going to play this clip for you. I, uh, I urge you to listen to it. Even if you've heard it before, it's worth a, a second listen to really sort of nail down the the proper view of what we have all just been
2: through with this impeachment. The United States Senate was made for moments like this. The framers predicted that factional fever might dominate House majorities from time to time. They knew the country would need a firewall to keep partisan flames from scorching, scorching our republic. So they created the Senate. Out of necessity, James Madison wrote, of some stable institution in the government. Of some stable institution in the government. Today, we will fulfill this founding purpose. We will reject this incoherent case that comes nowhere near, nowhere near justifying the first presidential removal in history. This partisan impeachment will end today. But I fear the threat to our institutions may not, because this episode is one of a symptom of something much deeper. In the last three years, The opposition to this president has come to revolve around a truly dangerous concept. Leaders in the opposite party increasingly argue that if our institutions don't produce the outcomes they like, our institutions themselves must be broken. One side has decided that defeat simply means the whole system is broken that we literally tear up the rules and write new ones. Normally, normally when a party loses an election, it accepts defeat. It reflects and retools. But not this time. Within months, Secretary Clinton was suggesting her defeat was invalid. She called our president illegitimate. Former president falsely claimed that President Trump didn't actually win. He lost the election, the former president said. And members of Congress have used similar rhetoric a disinformation campaign, weakening confidence in our democracy. The very real issue of foreign election interference was abused to fuel conspiracy theories. Three years. Prominent voices said it had been a secret conspiracy between the president's campaign and a foreign government. But when the Mueller investigation and the Senate Intelligence Committee debunked that, the delegitimizing endeavor didn't stop. Didn't stop. Remember what Chairman Schiff said here on the floor suggested that if, an Ameri- that if the American people re-elect President Trump in November that election will be presumptively invalid as well that's Chairman Schiff on this floor saying if the American people re-elect President Trump this November that election will be presumptively invalid as well so they still don't still don't, accept the American voters' last decision. And now they're preparing to reject the voters' next decision if they don't like the outcome. Not only the last decision, but the next decision. Heads, we win. Tails, you cheated. And who can trust our democracy anyway, they say. This kind of talk creates more fear and division than our foreign adversaries could achieve in their wildest dreams. As Dr. Hill testified, our adversaries seek to divide us against each other, degrade our institutions, and destroy the faith of the American people in our democracy. And as she noted, if Americans become consumed by partisan rancor, We can easily do that work for them. The architects of this impeachment claimed they were defending norms and traditions. In reality, it was an assault on both. First, the House attacked its own precedents on fairness and due process. And by rushing to use the impeachment power as a political weapon of first resort. Then their articles attacked the office of the presidency. Then they attacked the Senate and called us treacherous. Then the far left tried to impugn the chief justice for remaining neutral during the trial. And now, and now, for the final act, the Speaker of the House is trying to steal the Senate's sole power, to render a verdict. Speaker says she will just refuse to accept this acquittal. Speaker of the House says she refuses to accept this acquittal. Whatever that means. Perhaps she will tear up the verdict like she tore up the State of the Union address. So I would ask my distinguished colleagues across the aisle, is this really really where you want to go? The president isn't the president? An acquittal isn't an acquittal? Attack institutions until they get their way? Even my colleagues who may not agree with this president must see the insanity of this logic. It's like saying you're so worried about a bull in a china shop that you want to bulldoze the china shop to chase it out. And here's the most troubling part. The most troubling part. There is no sign this attack on our institutions will end here. In recent months, Democratic presidential candidates and Senate leaders have toyed with killing a filibuster so the Senate could approve radical changes with less deliberation and less persuasion. Several of our colleagues sent an extraordinary brief to the Supreme Court threatening political retribution if the justices did not decide a case the way they wanted. We've seen proposals to turn the FEC, the regulator of elections and political speech, into a partisan body for the first time ever. All these things, Mr. President, all these things, a toxic temptation to stop debating policy within our great American governing traditions and instead declare a war on the traditions themselves. A war on the traditions themselves. So, colleagues, whatever policy differences we may have, We should all agree this is precisely the kind of recklessness, the kind of recklessness, the Senate was created to stop. The response to losing one election cannot be to attack the office of the presidency. The response to losing several elections cannot be to threaten the Electoral College. The response to losing a court case cannot be to threaten the judiciary. The response to losing a vote cannot be to threaten the Senate. We simply cannot let factional fever break our institutions. It must work the other way, as Madison and Hamilton intended. The institutions must break the fever rather than the other way around. The framers built the Senate to keep temporary rage from doing permanent damage to our republic. The framers built the Senate to keep temporary rage from doing permanent damage to our republic. That, Mr. President, is what we will do when we end this precedent-breaking impeachment. I hope we will look back on this vote and say this was the day the fever began to break. I hope we will not say this was just the beginning. Well, I
1: hope not too. And I hope uh, that we will continue to have statesmen uh, leading the Senate like Mitch McConnell has done throughout this effort. The mainstream media trotted forth and claimed that this was a close vote it, because it was uh, forty-eight to convict and fifty-two to acquit on Article One, and forty-seven to convict and forty-three to acquit on Article Two, the truth of the matter is, it wasn't close. The Constitution requires a two-thirds majority in the Senate in order to remove a president, and the Democrats fell nineteen votes short on Article 1 and 20 votes short on Article 2. And now the President of the United States is acquitted of these bogus charges forever, and I believe history will write that this whole impeachment effort was a giant stain on the history of the Democrat Party and Nancy Pelosi's speakership. I think she sort of cemented her place in the history books when she pulled that stunt at the State of the Union address, that we're going to talk more about when we get back from the break. But Pierre Delecto, if the people in Utah don't mount a recall effort for that snake in the grass, then they uh, they will get just exactly what they deserve. We got to run out to a break. You're going to hear two messages, and then we'll be right back right here on the Mojo Five O Radio Network and right now with Jim Dawes. Stick with us.
3: This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods, like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. If you have thyroid eye disease and the bags under your eyes are looking more like purses, it might be time to discover another treatment option. To learn more, visit treatmyted.com. That's treatmyted.com.
1: And you're back on right now with Jim Dawes and the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an America First perspective. So I've just got a few more comments with regard to the impeachment vote yesterday, and uh, and then we'll get on to the State of the Union coverage. You know, I think the the real tragic part. The part that's uh, liable to do the most long-term damage from this failed partisan effort is uh, that it is sort of cemented in to the consciousness of these politicians in Washington. The idea that our national security is somehow tied to the conflict between Russia and the Ukraine and that we have some sort of duty or moral obligation to uh, to protect the Ukraine and engage in a, another of these proxy wars over there. It is pure lunacy. When Obama's State Department under John Kerry engineered a coup that overturned a, a duly elected president in the Ukraine, they absolutely uh, made certain that Russia would move in and, and reclaim the Crimean Peninsula, which they had... Uh, They had given to the Ukraine uh, during the Soviet Union's uh, days. Brezhnev did it. He was a, he was a, uh, Leonid Brezhnev was a Ukrainian uh, by birth. And uh, he believed that uh, it would be a good faith effort to, uh, to give the Crimea back to the Ukraine. But Uh, the, the Russian, the Russian Federation was never, ever going to allow the Crimea to be taken from it. It is populated by about 90% of ethnic Russians and it is home to their, uh, their only warm water port on the Eastern side of their nation. So we really kicked this thing off and now, uh, we're, we're getting deeper and deeper into a direct confrontation with a nuclear-armed former superpower that we seem to ter- determined to humiliate instead of uh, offer a pathway for them to come into the, uh, to the family of Western nations. It is a recipe for disaster, and it appears that uh, everybody in Washington, D.C. has now bought into this idea that it is uh, it is required of the American taxpayer to pay for this war, and I fear eventually for American uh, military personnel to uh, to bleed in the Ukraine. Ukraine's been a ancient point of um, of tension and conquest between Europe and Russia. And if Europe wants to keep the Ukraine or take it away from, uh, Russia then let their taxpayers and their, their fighting men do that. Another thing that came out of this was, uh, Oh, Lindsey Graham was saying right up until yesterday that, uh, as soon as this impeachment was over, that he was going to call Hunter Biden and the whistleblower before his Senate judiciary committee and get to the bottom of the origins of this latest impeachment effort. He claimed that just the same way he claimed that he was going to call James Comey and John Brennan before the judiciary. Once he took the gavel a year and, and some months have gone by now. He never, he never followed up on that promise. And now he was on the Ingram angle last night, uh, backing away from his claim that he was going to call Hunter Biden and Eric Chiaramella saying that, uh, that, that, that would be up to Richard Burr's committee, the same Richard Burr that, uh, that, uh, just totally left the president unprotected when they were going after him with the Russian hoax. But the good part of it is, uh, this impeachment effort, the Democrats have shot themselves in both feet. They've all but assured Trump's reelection. And hopefully, uh, the American people are even more tired of this whole Russia hoax or Ukraine hoax than they were before. And uh, we'll, we'll get less and less patient uh, with the Democrats' um, skullduggery. I believe that as a result of this and, and Nancy Pelosi's uh, act, uh, antics at the State of the Union, that the GOP stands a very good chance... Of retaking the house of representatives in 2020 and another really good uh, side effect is this has totally wrecked the campaign of Joe Biden. Joe Biden finished fourth in Iowa, despite the fact that he had the run of the field out there for three weeks while uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren were locked up in the Senate finished fourth. The last time he had such a dismal finish in an Iowa caucus, he dropped out of the race and he should do so again. The Democrat establishment is quickly, quickly changing horses to, uh, to mount up old Minnie Mike and his, uh, his billion dollar checkbook that he's promised and hope that he delivers them from the evil clutches of Bernie Sanders. So let's talk about this state of the union address. Um, it was something to watch. The president uh, really put the Democrats on the spot because they were they were so butthurt that he's been uh, winning on every front: the economy, jobs, national security, the border, trade. And so they were determined to come in there and just make faces at him and sit on their butts, their butthurt butts. And what the president speechwriters did was put them on the spot and make them. If that's the position they were going to take, sit through one inspiring American story after another, and the president called out a Tuskegee Airman, one hundred years old, who uh, the president uh, promoted to brigadier, honorary brigadier general. They sat on their hands when he he uh, honored uh, the the uh, brother of a man that was killed by an illegal alien in a sanctuary city. They just sit there and made faces when he reunited uh, an American soldier who had done four tours in Afghanistan with his family and children. Again, they just sit there and made faces and Casey hunt, Uh, over at MSNBC described the atmosphere in the chamber.
2: Long way away from. Let's go to People's Casey State Hunt. Union. Casey Hunt, if we can, who's been on the floor there of, of the uh, of the House. Can you give us some of the color and and you, you, what what you observed as uh, Speaker Pelosi appeared to tear up that speech?
4: Yeah, it's remarkable, Lester, the tenor and tone and mood in this room. Uh, more uh, campaign-like and partisan than any I've covered in the last decade of of covering speeches inside uh, these types of speeches inside the chamber, State of the Unions, joint. Addresses. In fact, there are still some Republicans here in the chamber flashing the thumbs up to Rush Limbaugh, who, of course, was uh, given the Presidential Medal of Freedom as this all unfolded. But uh, it, it just the I, I cannot underscore how poisonous the atmosphere in here felt throughout this. this.
1: So they they uh, they were really triggered by Rush Limbaugh getting the Presidential Freedom Award right there in the chamber. But uh, but they didn't stand for. Hardly anything else either, with the exception of uh, Kristen Cinema, who was uh, looking fine in her uh, uh, her uh, vibrant blue dress. It gave me some hope that she was going to vote for uh, acquittal, but that didn't happen. And the, of course, the the most um, illustrative uh, event happened. Right toward the end of uh, the president's speech, when Nancy Pelosi tore up his speech, stacked them in four neat little stacks, and then made a big show of tearing each stack up, it came out afterwards that she had been practicing that. But what you haven't heard is a lot of context from this, if, if you had gone to bed by then. And Nancy Pelosi uh, made her dramatic little uh, tantrum, right after donald trump had had really called americans to unite around our shared heritage and our 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 common destiny and that is when nancy pelosi pulled her stunt so i'm going to play you the closing of the president's speech just prior to when nancy did this
0: world bears witness tonight america is a land of heroes This is a place where greatness is born, where destinies are forged, and where legends come to life. This is the home of Thomas Edison and Teddy Roosevelt, of many great generals, including Washington, Pershing, Patton, and MacArthur. This is the home of Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, Amelia Earhart, Harriet Tubman, the Wright brothers, Neil Armstrong, and so many more. This is the country where children learn names like Wyatt Earp, Davy Crockett, and Annie Oakley. This is the place where the Pilgrims landed at Plymouth and where Texas Patriots made their last stand at the Alamo. (laughs) The beautiful, beautiful Alamo. The American nation was carved out of the vast frontier by the toughest, Strongest, fiercest, and most determined men and women ever to walk on the face of the earth. Our ancestors braved the unknown, tamed the wilderness, settled the Wild West, lifted millions from poverty, disease, and hunger, vanquished tyranny and fascism, ushered the world to new heights of science and medicine, laid down the railroads, dug out the canals, raised up the skyscrapers, and ladies and gentlemen, our ancestors built the most exceptional republic ever to exist in all of human history, and we are making it greater than ever before.
1: So it was right after that that Nancy Pelosi stood up and and, uh, engaged in her little theatrics. And really, Nancy Pelosi tearing up that speech that had celebrated American success stories and American's history and its destiny has really just become the perfect metaphor for today's Democrat party. They hate America and they resent its success. They wallow and revel in their victimhood and they want America to be a victim as well. And here's the deal. There are a lot of Democrat voters out there that are are voting Democrat because of their family traditions or what the Democrat party used to be. And at the state of the union, they demonstrated for everyone to see in no uncertain terms that they are no longer that party. And I think it's going to have a huge effect in this upcoming election. There were some callers. This is a montage of callers into C-SPAN after the State of the Union and Nancy Pelosi's stunt, and here's what they had to say.
0: I've been a Democrat for 70-something years. and What I've seen tonight of the Democrat Party, I am changing my mind. I mean, I'll probably still be a Democrat. But for I'm electing for a goddamn Democrat never again.
4: I am a Democrat as well, but no longer will I vote Democrat. I think it's outrageous that they sat there when all these good things are happening to our country and how much we love our country, and they looked like they hated our country. And Nancy Pelosi, the whole time she's sitting up there with a disgusting look on her face, it's outrageous, I will never vote Democrat again, and I'm of it, and my whole family feels the same way. My husband, my friends are sitting here, all former Democrats. We all voted for Hillary last time, and therefore, never ever will we ever vote Democrat again. You know, it's always portrayed that the Democrats don't love their country. Well, we love our country, and we want to see it succeed, but it appears to us that our, our Democratic Party's been stolen from us by a bunch of communist And no longer will our family ever vote Democrat again. I am literally disgusted with Pelosi and the Democrats' behavior, the way she teared up his speech behind him at the end. I was a registered Democrat. I have gone independent. I'm leaning GOP now.
0: With a simple rip of a paper, Nancy Pelosi has pretty much sealed the deal of a re-election of Donald Trump.
1: I believe that is the case. I think this is going to be, uh, uh, an election similar to George McGovern when he tried to drag the American people to the left. This is not a left wing country. And I think, uh, that blacks who, who are among the most socially conservative, uh, voting block in this country are going to start to, uh, uh abandon the Democrat party as well. Even old Jonathan Turley, who is a mild spoken, um, academic was just appalled at Nancy Pelosi's stunt. He wrote a, an op-ed for the Hill and he said, Pelosi has demolished decades of tradition with this poorly considered moment. Of course, we uh, many will celebrate her conduct and be thrilled by the insult to Trump. However, even those of us who disagree with his policy should consider what Pelosi destroyed in her moment of rage. She shredded the pretense of governing with civility and dignity in the House. Notably, she did not wait to rip up her copy of the speech until after she left the House floor. Pelosi wanted to do it at the end of the speech in front of the camera with the president still in the chamber. That act was more important to Pelosi than preserving the tradition of her office, and so doing, she forfeited her right to occupy that office. If Pelosi cannot maintain the dignity and neutrality of her office at the State of the Union, she should resign as Speaker of the House of Representatives. That's from Jonathan Turley, who is a a Democrat, a middle-of-the-road Democrat. Did you notice how all of the, uh, the uh, women in the Democrat caucus marched in in their little White outfits; they they look like uh, members of some sort of religious cult. I would say it's it, it reminded me a lot of how uh, the communists in China enforced this uniform on on all of the uh, people of China. They they look like Maoists. And I mentioned the uh, the outreach that uh, Trump did to blacks. Uh, I think this is just it, it, completely in keeping. With Trump's outreach to working people, he is becoming the populist nationalist standard-bearer and bringing the Republican Party along with it. And it just drives them crazy that Donald Trump refuses to accept his assigned role as a bigot. They keep citing that Donald Trump is a bigot, and yesterday they were saying that Rush Limbaugh is a, a, a racist They never cite any examples of any of that. And I think blacks are going to come to uh, the realization that they have become the new uh, labor movement inside the Democrat Party. They have been put in the back seat. The Democrats are no longer delivering for the blacks just the same way they no longer long ago stopped delivering for the uh, uh, union members. They've been put in the back seat in favor of their LGBTQIA plus and their uh, illegal alien um, constituents. And these open border policies that the Democrat party is uh, ideologically uh, committed to directly hurts working people and black working people especially. And when the president talked about Lifting 7 million people off of food stamps, you had Democrats protesting and accusing him of starving people. You had Rashida Tlaib say how shameful it was to be bragging about taking people off of food stamps. Well, apparently, I guess in keeping with her Marxist worldview, she doesn't realize that these people have become ineligible for food stamps. Because they've gotten good jobs and they have rising salaries. These Democrats would prefer that America be victims. They would prefer that uh, Americans prefer welfare to work. So when the president had Melania uh, hang the Medal of Freedom around Rush Limbaugh's neck, and I think Rush Limbaugh's in far worse shape than we realized earlier, he had arrived at the Capitol in a wheelchair. Old Jim Acosta had to jump on, uh, on the opportunity to smear, Donald Tr- or, uh, to smear Rush Limbaugh as a racist as well. Yes, the president had some heartwarming
0: moments during this speech, but he was also engaging in some deeply divisive rhetoric uh, aimed at immigrants, aimed at Latinos. And while, yes, he was uh, trying to make appeals to the African-American community, it can't be forgotten that he was awarding the Medal of Freedom to Rush Limbaugh, who has a history of making uh, derogatory comments about
1: African-Americans. You notice when they make these accusations, they never cite any examples, and is guilty of doing just that. And Bo snerdley, Rush Limbaugh's call screener, who is black and has worked with Rush for 30 years, took to Twitter and, uh, and challenged Acosta. He said, I formally challenged CNN and Jim Acosta to provide a list of statements Rush Limbaugh has ever made to disparage African Americans. He says, I've listened to Rush for 30 years and it's not true. It is racist for Acosta to use black people as political fodder. And that's what they do. This is the party of Al Sharpton, actual race hustler. And Jesse Jackson, actual race shakedown artist. But the clear message to come out of uh, the State of the Union was that America's success deeply pains today's Democrat Party. They revel in being victims, and they want America to be a victim right along with them. So, Iowa... Iowa, can we just acknowledge now that the the whole Iowa caucus disaster is engineered all to deny old commie Bernie his win out there? The Democrat Party and the DNC is screwing Bernie Sanders every which way but Sunday. And, you know, it was uh, Joseph Stalin, Uncle Joe, as Franklin Delano Roosevelt used to like to call him, who said that it's not the people who vote that count. It's the people who count the votes. That's sort of uh, ironic since both Joseph Stalin and Bernie Sanders are both Marxists. But, um, you know, they, they... Uh, they left the vote count up to this app called the shadow app that was, um, that was headed the development of this app by Robbie Mook, the former campaign director for Hillary Clinton herself. And much of the payment for it came from the campaign of Pete butthead. Pete Buddha Jedge. The, the app is called The Shadow.
4: <laughs> Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? <laughs> the Shadow knows.
1: The Shadow knows. So now, uh, what, three days after the Iowa caucus, we're finally starting to learn that Bernie is closing the gap. Uh, When they finally did release results, they released them uh, at 60% and then 80%. They continued showing uh, Mayor Pete as winning the most delegates. But now we know that Bernie Sanders has closed that gap now that uh, the, the newspapers and the news media have moved on and that, um, that basically uh, now with 90% voting or 90% reporting that Bernie Sanders is neck and neck with uh, Mayor Pete Butthead. The really upsetting thing is that if you combined uh, the vote of the two most um, self-declared socialists, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren... Together they would get forty-four percent of the vote out of Iowa, swamping the rest of the field. Combined, almost, almost combined. So, Mayor Cheat—that's his new nickname, not Mayor Pete. Mayor Cheat, and uh, he has managed to come out of victory, uh, come out of Iowa, claiming a victory. He did it. He seemed to know in advance that he would be declared a victor, and uh, when you combine that with the fact that he was uh, one of the the uh, establishment Dems behind the development of this app, you just have to admit to yourself that once again the Democrats are trying to uh, to not to deny uh, the the monster they have the socialist monster they've created in Bernie Sanders. The media's main takeaway is they're just mad at Iowa because there's too many white people in Iowa. We can't have all of these white people.
0: 25% of the Democratic voters are African American, and they're not really in the game. I mean, that's really awful. You talk about voter suppression, this is it. Jason's right.
4: It's voter suppression. You're saying black people vote last. Iowa, you know, just isn't representative of the Democratic tent, and that's the problem that I've had. I mean, you know, it's, if you if you look at the population, it's about 90.7% white. <laughs>
0: Iowa, in the first place, it's 90% white. You know, when you have, have a, a party as diverse as this to be in a state this not diverse is terrible. 90% of the caucus scores today were white, so it's way skewed out of line.
4: The Iowa caucus is essentially the perfect example of systemic racism. 91% of the voters in Iowa are white. The reason why you see a drop in turnout, I'm just speculating here, it could be perhaps that white children are not in the cages. They're white. Puh, puh, puh.
1: Man, they talk about white people with utter contempt. These are the same white people in Iowa that voted uh, uh, to give Barack Obama his his victory there. But now they're too white. The reason they didn't vote for their, their socialist candidate is they're too white. And if you happen to be a black person during one of these Iowa caucuses uh, that they have next time around, I urge you to get out to Iowa because you can do quite well uh, working for these campaigns that are desperate to put your face forward sitting in the front row behind these candidates. James Carville um, was on MSNBC being interviewed by um, Pete Williams and pretty succinctly summed up the state of the Democrat Party. But
0: look at the British Labor Party. I mean, we're we're like talking about he, he, people voting from jail cells. All right, we're talking about not having a border. I, I, I mean, come on, people. Every day, people are out there struggling. We're trying to get votes and all the You're saying you're saying you're concerned that you consider Bernie Sanders uh, for open borders and for uh, uh, well, no, incarcerated people it, he voting. Is he, that uh, what he said? He said he's not. He, he said that we should give people a ticket. All right, I'm not. I'm saying what, what he said. If you read Ron Brownstein, he's got 35 trillion dollars in spending. or read all of the the thing. I'm I'm saying, of course, I would vote for him, but I don't want, I don't want the Democratic Party of the United States to be the Labour Party of the United Kingdom. And my
1: and other I question is that I- so Bernie Sanders is a socialist. He wants open borders. He wants to give people uh, the vote from the jail cell. And he's terrible for the country. But if he gets the nomination, I'm going to vote for him anyway. That's uh. That's Carville's take on it all. So uh, that takes us to the end of this show. I want you to join us again tomorrow, where we'll catch up on all of the other week's news right here on the Mojo 50 radio network. We'll talk to you then.:
3: This episode is sponsored by Schwans.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm. Good question. Schwan's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods, like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details.
2: Some call it insight. Others call it vision. At Pershing, we call it perspective a perspective you'll benefit from, from a custodian you can rely on, one who can help navigate the big picture, and whose products
0: give you a competitive edge, one who considers everything, what will help you succeed today and
2: tomorrow. Open yourself to a new perspective and open the possibilities. Consider everything. BNY Mellon Pershing. Learn more at pershing.com slash go independent. Pershing Advisor Solutions, LLC. Member FINRA SIPC.